we're really, really happy to announce that um, that we are just signed a an ambassadorship program with Schedulicity. Schedulicity is a scheduling app, and um, they've been kind enough to uh, to help us out this next year. Yeah, they uh, we met them in L.A. when we did the uh, Salon Digital Summit, and they really believed in what we were doing mm-hmm. and how we were doing it, and so they wanted to know how they can partner up with us to. Uh, to even reach more listeners and, exactly. and give what we give. That's that's right. So um, with our uh, with our partnership with uh, Schedulicity, we will be able to reach more hairdressers and we'll be able to bring a lot more content and get to a lot more hair shows. So uh, hopefully, we can see you guys out there in the hair shows when we're there visiting. Yeah, and and they're going to give us a, some business tips uh, throughout the podcast as well. And I'm so excited that you know. We're partnering up with people that believe in the same things we believe in. Yeah, no doubt. That, that, that's pretty exciting. So uh, anyway, Schedulicity, once again, big shout out to you. And uh, thank you for joining your day off. <laughs> Silly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. Of course, I sit with my best bud. Tony, what's up, Tony? What's going on, buddy? So, uh, super stoked about today. Today, we're talking to... Uh, I mean, someone that we both look up to and someone whose name means a lot to us, Mr. Graham Webb. Yeah, he's uh, he's been uh, a huge impact on a lot of hairdressers. Yeah, uh, no careers. doubt. So, um, you know, Tony and I, we um, we actually went to the Graham Webb Academy in Arlington, Virginia, and, and we were just talking to Graham off, off, off air and just like, it's amazing the lives and, and just how he's just almost revolutionized the DC area when it came to, um, when it came to uh, the schools and stuff. Uh, anytime you mention a cosmetology school, Graham Webb was at the top. Yeah. You know exactly. I mean? Everybody else. Yeah. They were number one. Oh, you went to Graham or, you know, I went to Graham and it just, this well, that's huge. why we went, right. I mean, yeah. we went because the reputation was so good and that, and that, um, you know, they promised you, you know, you, you would have a better career after going to Graham Webb. And I think they were kind of the first ones, um, Graham Webb in DC was was kind of the the first school that 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 had a had a high reputation, had a really good reputation. Right. In yeah. The school, right. So, yeah. And it definitely wasn't a haircuttery. Uh, not the. No, and it wasn't. You know, it wasn't like the. It wasn't like the the place you go to just to get licensed, right? It was the place yeah. to go to to learn the craft, get education, exactly. And, and, and they believed that. And for me, is the first time I ever got a chance to go to England is when I was with Graham Webb because at the end of our. Uh, schooling, uh, we, we got to go over there for two or three weeks to Graham Webb. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's a here's another big shout out from Graham. He doesn't even know that this is happening. But when Tony and I went to uh, went to London with Graham Webb because they did like an exchange program there, is that they didn't have rooms for us. Remember, we landed at Heathrow and we had no place to go. And then um, I think somebody made a phone call to Graham and Graham got us in because we were supposed to stay at a hostel, but they didn't have right. any space for us at the hostel. Right. And then we got there and then Graham put us all up in our own rooms and in, in, in these great hotels. So uh, I guess we'll get on and uh, so I can thank him. We'll, we'll jump on. Sound good. Let's do it. Okay. He's got such a great story. I can't wait to get into it. Mr. Graham Webb. Thank you very much for joining us on your day off. Oh, it's an honor. And it's going very well so far. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start off and say, dude, thank you so much. Cause uh, we were definitely stranded in London and uh, something, I don't know if you remember it. It was like in the early nineties, but we actually got stranded in London and, uh, and then, you know, by the miraculous, whatever, by the miraculous Graham Webb, we ended up all in hotel rooms. Uh, and we, some of the tours that we were able to take, you know, we had a, uh, because of Graham Webb, a VIP tour of the house of parliament. Oh yeah. Right. And we got to go in the basement and watch where Henry VIII used to play tennis and all That's that. Right. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so many, many, many thank yous. And, uh, it's a pleasure. There were so many things like that that I was able to uh, do, and it was a part of the fun, you know, as well as the adventure. And I guess it separated us from the regular, you know, hair care company or academy. Uh, we tried to do different things. And I've always thought that business is about fun and profit. And um, that we made tried to make sure there was a fun bit. Awesome. It, well, like I said, just thank you again because yeah. those kind of stuff just isn't available. So, so where did you grow up in the UK? Well, I I was a guy from a council flat, you know, like a government funded home, uh, and um, I was born with a disability called spina bifida, where the spinal cord doesn't form properly. And uh, depending on the level of severity, it uh, has a lifelong effect. And, um, and uh, you know, lots of difficulties as a kid. So I dropped out of uh, school age 15. And my final school report was lazy, silly, bone <laughs> idle, and apparently content to remain so. And the... <laughs> My favourite page of my book is the first page because underneath my school report it says presented to Mr Graham Webb uh, for his outstanding achievements in education uh, industry and industry. And um, so I kind of, it, it, it got good in the end, but I didn't have a, a happy childhood, uh, although my parents were lovely. And... Um, I had no confidence or self-esteem and my mum was good at sales so she tried to persuade me to get a job in sales but these big companies didn't want some loser that dropped out of school at 15 with no qualifications so 62 companies uh, wouldn't see me and my mum saw an ad for a trainee hairdresser barber oh I don't, don't know if I fancy doing that. <laughs> uh, I went along and the, it was a pretty cool salon at the time. And the guy said, sure, I'll give you a three-month trial, uh, uh, which could lead to an apprenticeship. And I said, oh, well, it's not the career I wanted, but at least I have a job. <laughs> and, um, and at the end of the three months, I could see that the industry was not the way it's too frequently perceived. What do you and, mean by that? What do you mean by that? Well, certainly in the UK, but I think in a lot of countries as well, um, if you've got a, unlike me, if you've got a well-educated daughter or son and they do really, really well at college or school and then they say, well, I want to be a hairdresser, you know, there would be some parents in the UK that w would be a bit displeased. There's an awful lot of ignorance uh, and I can't tell you the hundreds of interviews I did, especially in the early 
15 years of my business here where you could see the anger on the parents' face. And it was always very frustrating 20 years later when the dad would happen to mention to you how proud they are of little Jeannie or Jamie with their new Range Rover car, mm-hmm. and, you know, and how well they were doing. And I always looked back at the anger that they portrayed at the young person's interview. So I did spend almost my whole career doing things to try and change the perception of the industry from outside. I mean, we had a lot to do within the industry, but outside the industry, the influences of the world, I, I did a massive amount to try to change the perception because it's an extraordinary industry. You've only got to look at the numbers, but that isn't always the perception. So I did, I joined the industry. Um, I, I always wanted to be a drummer, but as a slightly disabled kid, I didn't think I'd be able to do it. And a lot of my family were musicians. And um, anyway, as a result of being offered that apprenticeship, uh, I saw my apprenticeship through. And uh, although we don't have qualifications in Britain, as you probably know, um, but I kind of qualified. In other words, I'd served, I'd served my time. Not in prison, I mean in, uh, <laughs> in the apprenticeship, although I guess sometimes it felt like that. So, so Graham, how does your, um, how does spina bifida, what, um, how does it, how does the, uh, I don't know, what is it, a disease or whatever it is? Like, well, well you're, you're born with the, the spinal cord not closing properly, and in severe cases, you get those babies with the really big heads called hydrocephalus. Uh-huh. And in the milder cases, it just affects uh, sometimes your stability or your bowel or bladder or the like. And um, I kept my disability hidden because I had this silly feeling that I was in the beauty business. And in the beauty business, you don't want somebody that might not be so beautiful in certain areas. And it was only when I wrote my book at the persuasion of my 14 surgeons and equally the lovely people in Canada and the US who knew I was a school dropout, but they didn't know my secrets. And when I wrote the book, which was completely honest, um, it was like taking a huge piece of baggage off of my back. Wow. And I did not expect the number of people that I would actually inspire through uh, getting victory over my adversity. That's amazing. How, do, how does the disability affect you personally? Well, um, I used to have really weird, funny feet, uh, <laughs> but I had them rebuilt in America. And um, I used to have some urinary challenges which again, uh, a marvellous magician and surgeon uh, changed, changed my life there. But you've got to understand, as a guy from a government house with no self-esteem or confidence and 62 companies not giving me a job, um, it took a lot 
for me to gradually climb the ladder of uh, positivity until, you know, I came out the other side and it then almost felt like a gift because I could uh, inspire so many other people. But the many people within the beauty industry and outside who either heard me speak, which was always honest, um, and even in beauty uh, audiences for distributors and the like, people would come up to me at the end and they didn't all want to talk about my shampoo. They often wanted to share their problem. And in a weird way, it helped me sell shampoo. Mm-hmm. If you see what I mean, you know, because I touch people. Absolutely. I mean, you, uh, yeah, you made yourself vulnerable to a lot of people by being honest and, and you know, you are a huge inspiration to a lot of people. And yes. I mean, I'd like to think professionally, but we're all human, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, it often used to with when you've got a disability like I was born with, every time you see those ego guys, of which we have many in our industry and in the entertainment industry, you know, I, I did a speaking tour of India and I hadn't realised that I said it, but I know I did. When the article came out in the Times of India, there was a big article on me and it said at the top, when you've sat on, sat on as many bedpans as me, it's a great leveller. and I'm sure I said it because you know we all have to play the game as professionals we all have to walk the talk act the role hopefully with integrity and professionalism but if you're on the in the hospital ward with everybody else we're all the same yeah no doubt so you know I'd like to think I never had an unhealthy ego and we all know people that did. And uh, it, it, I tried not to, you know, because I always had that inherent leveller. And um, when I was training in my apprenticeship, I went to the Academy of Men's Hairdressing in London and uh, eventually I learned to shave a balloon, you know, for men <laughs> shaving, and strop a razor, the kind of things that Wayne Grund in his interview with you mentioned, at Scissor Overcomb, and there were a huge number of ladies hairdressers that I used to watch who weren't necessarily fantastic at Scissor Overcomb. Right. And having then gone to Sassoon's and learnt the ladies' side of our craft, um, then, you know, I was able to operate my first salon Initially as a barber's, but subsequently as what at the time we used to call unisex. How and, far along, uh, how far into your career did you open your first salon? Um, well, after my apprenticeship, I went around the world on the, on the cruise liners as a hairdresser, Whoa. which was a, a very good thing to uh, shake me out of some of my worries. You know, when you're pulling into Honolulu or Sydney, Australia, your horizon widens. I mean, rather than looking in on your worries, it kind of 
helps you to look at the horizon. And, uh, but when I was at Sassoon, I met a very inspiring guy who was their head creative director and general manager, Joshua Galvin. I don't know whether you know that name. He was a massive figure in global hairdressing. And he was the first guy in the world who made a profession of touring as a teaching hairdresser. Wow. He went all over the world in the 60s, um, initially with Sassoon's, but eventually on his own. And he would be away all the time doing shows and seminars. It's hard to imagine that there weren't any once. And he was the flag bearer for that part of our craft. And he spotted something in me. He said, Graham, you're a brilliant PR man. Would you do my PR? So I had three salons in the UK at the time. And I had a part-time job with Joshua uh, as his publicity guy, which was a very strange dynamic. But like everything you do, you know, it taught me a lot. And um, one day, having watched an American movie and my disability getting worse, I thought, I need to do something to change my vision. And I, was, I saw a, a movie, an American movie. Uh -huh. I thought, I'd love to go to that country. I'd love to go to America. And um, oh, Hold on, Graham. What movie is that? I can't actually remember which one it was, but <laughs> it was one that made me think I want to go to America. Brilliant. And uh, Coming to America. <laughs> here's the first mistake. I said to my bank manager, I need to do some really good hair photographs to send out to the American trade and fashion magazines to get my profile up. Uh -huh. And the manager said, well, I know a good local photographer. It was a complete waste of money. Ooh. I then frightened my bank manager by getting the name of the guy who did the hair and photos on the cover of Vogue. And I rang this guy and booked him. I had no idea what I was doing. He said, do you want to do a model call? Model call? What's that? <laughs> it, you know, I didn't say that. I pretended I knew. Those pictures looked like Vogue, and they were the ones that attracted uh, Modern Salon magazine. Uh -huh. Older people in our profession in America will remember Ken Grogan and the editor Laurie Delaney. It became Mary Atherton in the end, who was a big friend and supporter of mine. But those pictures did it for me in America. That's so awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I had a phone call one day from Nationals World of Beauty in Minnesota. And it said, um, we have the Vidal Sassoon International Artistic Team coming this month to do our annual show. What chance is there for the Graham Webb International Team coming next year? <laughs> Um, we didn't have a team. 
Right. You're like, you got him. Here I am. I said, let me check my calendar. <laughs> and the following year, we went to America and noticed the clapperboard houses in Minnesota, the positivity, the kindness to people that appeared to have an accent. <laughs> I mean, we don't have an accent, but we thought we did. Neither do we. <laughs> and um, my salons had always done beautiful commercial hairdressing that translated directly into dollar volume. And I had no idea that that's what they were looking for. Right. And I suddenly was swamped with shows all over Canada and the U.S., Wow. And eventually other countries. And okay, Graham, I'm going to slow you down a little bit. So did you so you put together a team to take to Minnesota with you? Yes. How they, you were with, they were within my team. So, so they, worked, know, they worked within the salons with you? Yeah. I mean, one of them was great, but spoke a little bit uh, inarticulately. So he agreed to go for elocution classes to learn to speak um, with a clearer voice, as did I years earlier. Mm -hmm. My uncle sent me, because I used to speak like a cockney and a lot of people might not have understood me, and my uncle persuaded me to go to elocution classes, and that made me more confident in sharing with some of the team. Hey, I went. Right. I think it helped me. You need to be able to project yourself and for people to concentrate on what you're saying rather than on trying to see, hear what you're saying. And uh, so we had a year to prepare. Wow. That's pretty cool, man. I, I love that. Like, like you, you, Graham almost asked for the success that he wanted. And then when he got it, he's like, uh Oh, now what do I do? Right. You know, <laughs> no, I think the other thing that was an accident, even from the first salon, my appointment cards, there was me and an apprentice at the, at the start Two, two people. And on the appointment card, it had the address of the salon and it said London and the postcode United Kingdom. Right there. <laughs> we were thinking big from then. And I have politely suggested to a lot of our salon owners that I met because I would always pick up their appointment card and I immediately noticed many didn't have their area code, mm -hmm. thinking very local. They, none of them had United States of America or right. Canada. And without trying to teach salons what I found helpful, I did sometimes used to politely mentioned that, that I think helped me think global and uh, eventually became global. Graham Webb was like an influencer, like a Instagram influencer before like there was ever Instagram, before, right? yeah. before there was a computers or anything, <laughs> right? I mean, like everything that he's, everything that he did in his career early on in his career, it is exactly the same messaging that's, that's now used on like, um, you know, some, some of the Instagram posts. And stuff. Well, I'd recommend to any of your listeners to put your area code on the card and United States of America, because we're in such a global world, which we were not in 
1969 when I opened my first salon. And we all now do have international clients or customers, which we, we didn't then. But it, it, it's always interested me that I was kind of thinking above where I was, mm. even when there was me and an apprentice. That, that, there's a message there, isn't it? Yeah. That's so cool. All right. So, uh, so, so how many salons did you end up opening in, um, in the UK? Well, I opened some and then some years later regrouped and closed a smaller one and opened a bigger one. Mm-hmm. So 16 was how many I've opened in, in total, but 11 was really the core number. We ended up with 11. So you ran 11 at the same time then? Yes. Um, and, and in the early days, um, I was, you know, I, I, I did everything. Uh, but then um, I realized that I either needed to get a business manager in or I needed to try and become better at business. Mm. And I went the latter route. And it was interesting because some of my first hair shows where I didn't do hair, I detected that some people wondered why I wasn't. And all good salesmen put the objections first. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would say in the start of the show, um, you know, I did hair for X years. Uh, I wanted to try and expand and run a proper business. And I made the decision to train up great staff and try and become the chief executive, if you will. Um, with the skill that I didn't have, that I needed to learn. And I moved audiences from disappointment that I wasn't doing the hair to coming up to the stage saying, hey man, sometimes I'm standing on the chair with a column full of clients and some of my team are in the, in the staff room. How did you get off the chair? So, you know, I, I was able to share Right. some of the things I did um, to, to help that move. And then we'd done quite a lot of shows without a product in partnership with us. And then one day there was a lady called Susan Cox in the audience who was with Red Ken. Uh-huh. And she asked whether we would be willing to join Red Ken as their uh, international artistic team and that's of course where I met Wayne Grund uh, and quite a few others Martin Parsons other people that you'll know from within the industry and then after a respectful time Arnie Miller of Matrix nibbled at my ear <laughs> and uh, we then became a, a team uh, there was a team called the Altieris I think that were rock and roll guys Big muscles, T-shirts, you know, oh, muscles. Those, muscle. are the Matrix, those are the Matrix guys, right? They were. We were the yin and yang. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we were the guys in the nice clothes from London, you know, speaking nicely. Uh, and, and it was quite a clever Arnie move. You know, you had the girls would scream at the, uh, the outy areas, but they tended not to scream at us. <laughs> <laughs> But I think they learnt from us. Right. Um, and we tried to make sure. And then eventually, uh, after a certain period, uh, we became the L'Oreal uh, 
principal team. And then I got this out of the blue, extraordinary call from Robert Taylor, the then American Entrepreneur of the Year, who had decided there was a big opening in the professional beauty industry to do products differently. And I didn't know until he interviewed for my book that he had four targets in mind. I thought it was only me. <laughs> and um, and uh, but anyway, it was a very good fortune that he saw something in me. He, he very generously said, I mean, he didn't know our industry. He had this slightly negative perception that people that aren't in the industry sometimes have. And he expected me to walk in with a gold medallion and a gypsy earring. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I didn't have that. You know, I, I flew from London to Minnesota to his corporate offices and I had a nice suit and tie and, and um, I'm a very good salesman and I think he must have detected that. Mm -hmm. And um, we ended up going into business together and uh, I don't know if you know the story, but briefly... He was sitting in a salon at Lake Minnetonka where he had a multi-million dollar home. And he noticed the same women in that upscale salon that bought his Calvin Klein products in Nordstrom's and Saks because he owned Calvin Klein under license. Wow. And, um, so he bought a bottle of shampoo from that upscale salon and they just gave him the bottle. Whereas if you bought a bottle of Calvin Klein shampoo from Saks, it would go in a tissue bag, maybe with a gift we purchase. Mm -hmm. The same women. And he thought, wow, there's a better way of doing this, he thought. But nobody was going to buy Bob Taylor shampoo. So he sold his corporation, the Minnetonka Corporation, which included Calvin Klein. Right. And I still have the London Times where there was an article on the business pages that it said um, American Entrepreneur of the Year, Robert Taylor, sells his Minnetonka Corporation. A rumor has it he intends to go into a professional hair care company. Wow. <laughs> and I read it on the train going into London. And of course, I realized that was me. Right. <laughs> so, Graham. So the uh, the 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 product line came before the schools, or the schools? Oh no, no. The, the, we we nearly opened in America a salon in Old Hyde Park Village in Tampa, Florida. Uh huh. And just before we signed the lease, we, I realised that the UK formula grew from our academy. Right. Either from high school or from hairdressers retraining with us so that we had a corporate standard. And I suddenly realized that was, I nearly made a mistake. And so we opened in the Arlington, Virginia area because we did want to do beginners. You know, we didn't want to shy away from the growth of the future. Mm -hmm. So it, that was a tough call because 
we had to deal with the state board, you know, something we don't have. We had to deal with a thing called a license, something we don't have. <laughs> and um, that was a challenge. And I realized that the only way we'd make the academy work at beginner level was putting really good American hairdressers with the Brits. And right. the Americans had already gone through the whole license thing and uh, understood how you get a license, which respectfully isn't always the greatest haircut. No. It's all the other stuff. And um, so that academy, um, it won an award in Washington for the top hair color salon of Washington. <laughs> when, when it's actually a clinic, you have to call it. You have to call it a clinic, don't you? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I remember when that came out. Actually, you guys were graduates there, and you know we were always trying to improve and get better. But uh, it was, you know, I think we did, we did uh, raise the bar a bit, and. I have no proof and I want, I don't have any accusations, but much to my stunned shock, we were rejected for accreditation after going three years operating it. Wow. You wonder, were rejected? I wonder why. Right. Exactly. Wow. Um, and that's when my PR kicked in. And I got to know some very important senators and congressmen and, uh, and uh, eventually uh, managed to attract them to come to a beauty school, which none of them had ever been to. <laughs> and I still remember, like, this is a beauty school, this is a cosmetology school. And uh, we got accredited. Wow. I'm not suggesting there was any influence that... Hey, that's how things work sometimes, right? We did. And um on Wilson Lane. That's exactly yes. right. And uh and I then began the same journey in America and Canada as I did in the UK with doing things outside our profession to try to raise our industry profile. What what did that look like? Like outside the profession, what were you doing? Or, or I was giving speeches to uh, organizations like Rotary and Chambers of Commerce and things that weren't directly related to my revenue stream, mm -hmm. but they were related to my industry mm -hmm. to try and, uh, for example, sometimes I would open a speech saying, uh, my name is Graham Webb. Um, I'm part of the $60 billion professional hairdressing industry. And you could see the men and some women, but you can see the men in the audience thinking, crikey, <laughs> did, I, did I hear him right? I would always say it twice, you know, because I knew they'd be wondering, did I make a mistake? <laughs> and... and uh, I would talk a little bit about my journey and some of the journey of some of our people within our craft, not just at Graham Webb, but at other respectful, you know, organizations. And, um, and uh, nobody wants you to be too serious. So I would sometimes 
follow up my intro with um, I'm a specialist in cutting waste and trimming overheads. <laughs> I'm a hairdresser. Right. That, that would make them a smile, you know, and realize I wasn't too, uh, too full of my own importance. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's really funny. So, so you started, um, so the product line that you started with Robert Taylor, that was, um, that was the Graham Webb product that we know, or was that a, a, a earlier? Um, no, it was, it was a Graham Webb product that we launched and it had a little union flag on it at the time. Mm-hmm. And it had Thermocore Complex, which the yeah. University of Minnesota had proved helped to uh, heat was helpful as opposed to not helpful. Right. So that was one of the marketing strands. And, um, and we had uh, extraordinary samples. Do you remember the little samples we used to give out? Now, how cool oh, yeah. is that? Yes. yes, I totally yes. remember that. Yes. Yep. I remember we used to do the uh, scalp massages with, uh, with the natural bone oh. bristle brushes. With yeah. I mean, that's better than a sachet, isn't it? That's oh. amazing, man. Yeah, that's fantastic. Completely. So everything was upscale. It's the only way Taylor knew how to do things. I love that. And, and um, it fitted right in with my way of thinking. Okay, can, um, I, can I give you a big shout out for Ice Cap? Ice Cap was oh, yeah. the most amazing conditioner ever. Yeah. It felt amazing. It was like air conditioned for your scalp. Yes. <laughs> you know? Well, do you know why it was called Ice Cap? Tell us. One of the things I said to Taylor was when I went in for major neurosurgery, uh, I was sent back to the hospital ward winning, wearing an ice cap. A cap of ice. Right. They, right. they knew the headache I was going to be getting. And it was a very unfortunate, awful experience. Years later, it became a positive. Right. <laughs> no doubt, man. That's amazing. So awesome. I love that problem. So you said no to almost nothing, right? You're like, even if you weren't prepared for it, you're like, sure. And uh, like, you know, a, Going to Minnesota a year later, you know, exactly. you didn't have a team, but you brought a team. And uh, yeah. you, here you are with your own product, the schools, the 11 salons, and you quit school at 15. I mean, that's with a disability. With a disability. Amen. So that, yeah. that proves to you nothing is impossible. Nope. No, no. I, I think my when I took on the different opportunities or challenges, it was with measured consideration love it <laughs> love it <laughs> i didn't just jump in you know without thinking <laughs> so and, well um, were there were there were there things that you got into that you got in a little bit over your head or or, or things that that became a challenge or became like a future learning experience like, oh, where, made did, mi- where, did, where did you fail graham oh, i made millions of mistakes and um one of my many mistakes was when, it, when the salons got a little busier, you know, like three salons or four salons, I would fit in a potential new staff member in between clients. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes if I was running a bit late, I'd still see the, the applicant and give them like a two-minute interview, and then it would be a catastrophe because I'd – had somebody leave their current salon, join me, 
and me realize I'd made a mistake for them and me. Right. <laughs> and although I'm a really good salesman, I'm really soft underneath. So I'd lay awake most of the night and say to Mandy, my wife, darling, I made a hell of a mistake. I've got to speak to Johnny tomorrow or Julie or whoever. I've got to tell them that, you know, I'm, I made a mistake. And I would be shaking like a leaf, you know, because I'd made such a bad mistake. So I learned the hard way that they are the future and they deserve to get a proper interview so that the, their aims and objectives are somewhat similar to the way the company's going. Right. Because I used to say, people go to Sweaty Betty's hair salon uh, and pay, you know, 10 bucks and there's no training. I mean, clients go there. Staff go there. Right. But that wasn't the way that we operated at Graham Webb and many other high upscale organizations. And you brought so many people to the U.S. in, in the sense of you, you're talking about educators. I remember you bringing Trevor Sorby in one year. We were there. Uh, you know, you would bring all these people from the outside, from the U.K. into our school. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I, I can't remember if it was Trevor, but of course, I've always respected Trevor. By the way, a former barber who yes. could do scissor over comb. That, yeah. That's right. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we both came out the barber way. And um, and I would meet a lot, quite a lot of the Brits on the show circuit, you know, Trevor or Irvin Rusk. And, of course, the, uh, I'd be pounding this, the show circuit with Robert Reed, you know, um, and... Uh, a chap called Zenon, who was a real character back then, and Gary Girard from San Francisco. We'd meet up at all these shows, and um, they'd notice we're getting a bigger booth and a bigger booth, ah. and then a, a booth for each brand, because obviously we, we had multi-brands, which was Taylor's genius at covering the whole market. Right. Even our low price point, product back to basics didn't look low price point you know we had bath salts and all kinds of stuff and uh, I used to joke I'm very involved in everything we do and there's a little bit of Graham in every bottle <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so with um I'm kind of to piggyback on tony's question so um like even like at the school like half the staff was like uh were, were british so i mean you change a lot of those lives too right like how did you how was it convincing like gerard or convincing um you know some of the educators to come to the u.s or well i've got a feeling that gerard was not somebody i had to overtly persuade <laughs> but but most of them I did. I mean, America seems a big country and it's a long way away. And when I first decided to bring people over, I thought I was going to have a, a line around the block. Right. But I didn't. I'd have the odd one or two. Not because they weren't excited by America. I think they were daunted by America, even though they'd be working within the same family. Right. And I'm very aware from what Gerard said last month to me. And 
and um and and others have said to me very generously you know i changed their life well they helped me change my life uh even though i've always lived here but you know some of them stayed in america they're married they've got a family they've got a salon you know like um gerard now does mm-hmm. and um and gareth yeah uh, gareth Actually, we yeah. need to give uh, Gareth a big thank you because it was actually Gareth that uh, that allowed us to uh, to to book this uh, to book this conversation. So yes, I think it was Gareth. Him. He yeah. contacted me, I think. Yeah, because we talked to him in Philly. He was like, "Yeah, we would love to have Graham Webb on here." He goes, "All right, let me see what I can Let's do. see what I can do. See right. what kind of strings I can pull for you, fellas." So we love you, yeah. Gareth. Thank you so much, brother. <laughs> yeah, well, he's another one, isn't he? That ended up, you know, getting married, having a family, not coming home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Career. Claire, another one. Yeah, yeah I, I'm humbly aware of, uh, but you know they helped me as well. I, I did never overlook that. Well, and it, ironically, uh, is it ironically or coincidentally, you know, uh, Gerard's now in Tampa, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, so, where you wanted to open up your salon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I might have been a competitor. Right, <laughs> <That's> exactly. <laughs> you should have opened in Hyde Park, right? Yeah. <laughs> in old Hyde Park Village. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, w- I wanted to just briefly say something. In all my career of 11 UK salons, we never once stole a hairdresser from a salon in any town in which we traded. Brilliant. We always either grew from school or we, um, we took people on from outside and they had to go through the academy. Their question was always, oh, for how long? <laughs> and I always said, well, it's up to you. We can't allow our gold dust, my word for clients, mm-hmm. we can't allow our gold dust to be looked after by somebody that doesn't represent the name over the door. Now, of course, we don't want robots. You know, everybody's got their creative individuality, but I'm very proud that we never once stole a hairdresser from any town in which we traded. And that way, when people did leave us, which of course some do, um, some did, um, we didn't lose that many clients because they didn't bring their clients. And I always think that you climb the highest by staying on the level. You climb the highest by staying on the level and I'm very proud that I could put my head on the pillow at night. Okay, as an aggressive marketeer, very strict about customer service and training, but with complete integrity and the highest level of ethics. And sometimes at um, hairdressing industry events in the UK, I would bump into some of my competitors and they'd often tease me about my marketing and PR, but no one said, you're the shit that stole one of my stylists. Right. They ne- nobody ever did because we never did. And I think, I'm not saying that's the only way to go, but I believe it was one of the keys of us having a happy salon group of t- of team with good retention that's amazing 
Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that, that is something, I mean, you know, as you, as you, as you age in, in life, you know, you, your concern is much more about legacy than it is about, you know, what, what's in it for me. And, and that's just an amazing legacy to be able to, um, to kind of, like he said, put his head on the pillow at night. With, you know? There's a couple of other things that I wanted to share. If, if you, if you'll allow me to. Grant, Please. Grant, it's your time. Yeah. You hear a lot, especially in America about goals What's your goal? What's your goal plan? What's your five-year plan? And there's an amazing artist called Tim Minchin. He wrote the hit show Matilda, Tim Minchin, but he's also a brilliant comedian and pianist. And it happens that when he plays the UK, my son's his drummer. Oh, He's, he's done some brilliant speeches. And so this is partly Tim Minchin's view, which was completely mine. And here we go. Go. It's better to have short-term goals and short-term plans. Have passionate, dedicated, short-term goals and be micro-ambitious many times over. Mm. It's more achievable, and it then avoids the disappointment at the end of your three-year goal or five-year goal if you haven't quite got there. So I did have lots of micro-ambitions and short-term goals. And when I heard Tim say that in a speech, I could have been looking in the mirror because that's exactly the way... Uh, I've always felt. And the, and the other thing I wanted to say, I realised that I had four key principles because sometimes people have kindly said, you know, what do you, what do you put your success down to? And number one, I think I always managed to retain my family on the journey with me. It sounds a bit corny, but you don't build the kind of business I built by always being sitting at home around the fire with the kids. And my daughter, one of my daughters said to me one day, dad, we were at your hospital bed for all your medical procedures, but we were at the British embassy in Washington when you launched America. And when you brought American and Canadian guests to our home, you always included us. Mm. It was never, oh, young children, you need to just go and play because we've got important customers here. They would sit around the table and join in the conversation. In fact, Robert Taylor, I mean, this is funny when you know that you've got normal kids that argue and scream and shout sometimes. (laughs) But Robert Taylor said one day, did you get your kids from central casting? <laughs> <laughs> they, they learned, you know, when they could scream and shout and, and when they couldn't. And I had four key principles. Um, one was uh, to take my wife and children on the journey with me. And by that, because I was away a lot, I used to take each of my children away individually for a night's bed and breakfast and my wife 
And even today, I get emails from people around the world who write to me and they say, I had one last week. Um, Mr. Webb, you won't remember me. I'm in Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, I heard you speak. And I've just come to St. John's, Newfoundland with my daughter, Caroline, for a night's B&B. That's so cool. So my kids still remember those. And I had managed to keep a balance. I wasn't always away creating a, a trail of destruction. <laughs> the, the, the next uh, principle is you define who you are. Don't let anybody tell you who you are or what you might be capable of achieving or not achieving. Third, anticipate the unexpected because the unexpected will happen. And if you can be prepared for the unexpected, you'll be better, you'll be better prepared. Because okay. I, think, I think challenges in business are normal. They're not abnormal. Right. So um, how, how, how do you, I mean, slow down. I want to, I want to live there a little bit. So what is your lesson for that? Or, or, or how do you, ex, you know, how do you anticipate the unexpected? Like what, what does that look like on a practical level? Well, I suppose whatever project you're doing or whatever, what thing you're doing, you, you've got to kind of write down the what ifs, you know, you've got to believe it's going to happen as I kind of joked a little bit earlier, you know, it's measured consideration. Measured consideration. But, uh, you know, you don't need a crystal ball to see some of the things that could happen, maybe. Right. Could be losing key personnel at the wrong moment, or it could be the bank, you know, that we all suffer from, all of us, Small business people, as I once was, <laughs> suffer from the banks. Right. I remember once going to uh, my bank to open a new salon and uh, he wouldn't let me have the money, you know, something to do with gearing or some boring thing that I didn't understand what it was. And um, I went to a competing bank and I used to cut the hair of the competing banker Right. And he agreed to give me the loan, but he said, you've got to go back to your current bank and let him know what you're doing, you know, out of respect and also so you don't get caught out. Right. But I went to see him and I said, uh, look, Dick, that, that was his name, not just what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I said, look, look, Dick, um, here's what I'm planning to do. And I got his goodwill. And funnily enough, for quite a few years as a growing small firm, it was quite a good accident to have two banks. Oh. I'd, I'd hit the payroll with the left one and the right one would be okay and then the, salary, the wages would go through and that would hit the right one by which time the left one, you know. But, of course, when I opened in America, it was such a big deal. You know, I had to just get one bank. But anyway, I was talking about anticipating the unexpected. The, the next principle was balance your life. And that reverses back to the point I just made to you. 
take your friends and family, and if you're lucky enough to have a partner, your partner with you on the journey. And the final one sounds a bit corny, but because of my own uh, former difficulties, uh, try and create joy and happiness for somebody at some time, especially children. You know, lift them up rather than put, put them down, like my final school report did. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> would you would you were you able to speak to that teacher uh after your success? Well, as I told you, I was invited back as guest of honor. Right. Uh where they gave me that certificate, which I've still got on the wall in my kitchen. Right. And um I was Mr. Professional. I was really addressing the kids in the audience who might feel like I used to. I did share what my report was, but it was all about the kids in the audience rather than trying to get one back off of the teacher that, or teachers that wrote that right, right. horrible stuff. Yeah. And um, part of my overcoming adversity was I did eventually become a drummer and I played for 40 years in lots of bands. Yes. And uh, sometimes at a huge distributor show where they would always have a great band at the end, just occasionally there would be a nightmare moment when they announced that the boss of one of the big hair care sponsors is a drummer and he's, we're going to invite him up to play. Oh, <laughs> no. And like any athlete, you've got to warm up. Right. So sometimes I'd be invited up and they'd do Proud Mary at a million miles an hour. Oh. You know, and I hadn't warmed up. So it wasn't really great, but <laughs> people did see me. Uh, the guy that's normally in a suit. That's awesome. <laughs> up there rocking right. out of the hand. And my kids all followed me into music and... Uh, as I alluded, my youngest son is a very busy professional drummer. He was with Amy Winehouse, who always rehearsed here in our home. Oh, my gosh, really? And um, my daughters, the Web Sisters, were in America last year, uh, in 2017, singing with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Holy cow. Um, and so I, I went out to quite a lot of the Tom Petty gigs around America, which... They were generous enough to invite their old dad oh, that's and mum too. They, they and brought you on for their journey, Graham. Exactly. And Leonard Cohen, the great poet, um, yeah. they were singing with him. And the Lumineers, the American band, the Lumineers, who the Web Sisters have actually just recorded on the Lumineers' new album. Had no clue. I had no idea either. What? It's how a very come you didn't play in Graham Webb? How come you, how come <laughs> yeah. you didn't say I'm play, play a concert for us? Well, I wasn't invited to join into Tom <laughs> They'd already got Steve Ferroni, who's a bit of a mustard drummer. <laughs> my youngest son plays with a very good artist called Jamie Cullum, who's quite popular in America, but he's oh, yeah. he He plays piano and sings and... Uh, I thought I had a, a, a great education. Now I feel like I got cheated a little bit. <laughs> Graham should be playing for us. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see Graham play. 
No, well, and I guess when I was really at my busiest, um, you know, we didn't have Instagram and, and YouTube back then, which might be a good thing. Although in my book, there are photos of me rocking out in the band. I love it. What's the name of your book? I could send you one if, uh, if you want me to. Certainly. Uh-huh. Me rocking out. Yeah, well, uh, well, when we get off air, we'll give you our address. I told you I was a good salesman. Look at that. Out of the <laughs> bottle. Out of the bottle. I love, love it. Love it. Who's the handsome guy on the cover? <laughs> <laughs> That's so, all. That yeah. Hey, hey, Grant, I want to back up a little bit because um, I'm really curious as to like uh, what the what the life of Graham Webb, the product was like. So you launched it with Robert Taylor. You And how long did you have it before you sold out? And what, what was the journey like? Well, we, we started in 1989. And uh, I think uh, when my book took off in 2005, uh, it became much more huge than I imagined. I didn't anticipate the unexpected. (laughs) And um, I realized I had a whole new career as a speaker and an author. And I spoke to my team in the UK and I sold to my fellow directors and they paid me over five years with no bank interest. So I was able to make it possible. And now when I go past any of the 11 UK salons, the staff wave, which is much nicer than, you know, there's that chump who, uh, who let us down. <laughs> Got us. So, um, so, you sold, uh, so you sold interest of the product um, and the salons at the same time? I sold, we sold the product company, I believe, in 2005. And that was really because Robert Taylor was unwell. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to um, divest uh, himself, ourselves, of the company. And uh, I think I played a part in helping him to retain it within the professional beauty industry, albeit, you know, to Weller, mm-hmm. who did have a retail side. And um, because I, I, I think with no disrespect, Robert might have sold it to whomsoever. Right. And um, I wanted to try to keep it within the professional beauty industry. And it, it went to Weller. And nobody, nobody expected Procter & Gamble to come along and gobble up Weller. Right, 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 right. And you're, they kept me on. P&G kept me on and they would send me things called a message track. Now, I mean, I'm British. I don't know what a message track is, but basically it was things to say to salons to try to reassure them of their worry. Right. That P&G, the biggest company in retail, uh, were going to take it retail. And uh, so because my customers trusted me and I trusted P&G, I did share without reading the message track, but I shared it in my own way. And uh, eventually we started to have a few more back orders and I started to feel suspicious, Mm. although they continued to tell me 
that the Graham Webb brands would remain an important part of the P&G family. And then one day I had a phone call from somebody who was one of my first employees in America. And again, I don't understand all American terms, but she rang me and she said, hi, Graham, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm very well, thank you. And uh, she said, I'm calling you to tell you we're sunsetting the brands. Mm. Sunsetting? What is that? And with no disrespect, it's a kind of camouflaged nightmare word. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would have preferred her to ring me personally and just said, look, I got a bit of news for you here. Um, here's what it is. But, you know, the formal the formal word is, and uh, my upcoming tour was cancelled, and uh, I was told that the Graham Webb brands would be eliminated, you know, in the coming months, and uh, that was that was the end of uh, the brands. A bit Taylor and I had already sold, right? Uh, mostly because of Bob not being well, mm-hmm. so you know. I was kept on as a kind of name on the bottles. But um, I mean, I can, I, as you're telling the story, I can feel it, right? Yeah. I can feel the disappointment or I can feel the, the I don't mean, I guess that's the best word for it, right? I called, I called as many salons as I could, which shocked them to mm-hmm. say personally that, you know, this wasn't something that I expected or engineered. And, um, and, you know, how sorry I personally am, as well as uh, the commitments that a lot of uh, you guys had made. And um, so, you know, they were sunsetted. They were sunsetted. Sunsets yeah. never seen the same thing. <laughs> right. You never looked at another sunset the same. <laughs> you ruined every beach vacation. Now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With the sunsetting. Yeah, almost like a big company bought a, you know, a, another company and just kind of dissolved it so it didn't get rid of its competitors or, or well of course as you know png eventually left the professional beauty industry mm. and uh, of course within the graham webb family which included gerard mm-hmm. and and gareth and the others many good people were removed both in sales and uh, research and uh, shows and and uh, many people's lives were affected, as must happen when global conglomerates, I think because we become so successful, and I think when you fly like an eagle, you do attract hunters. Right. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. I mean, that's... uh. Yeah, we appreciate. I mean, just that what, little tidbit just kind of really opens... Uh, you know, your mind and, and, and I, I truly felt it, like you said, but it, it you're right. It, you attracted uh, a lot of attention. And, right. Well, and there's no way it wasn't, all. it wasn't always easy to get salons to buy into Taylor's complete philosophy of a gift with purchase, beautiful retail racks. Many did adhere, but sometimes I would visit salons and our beautiful rack was stocked with eight different brands. Right. Um, 
and the name on the rack that had been removed because there were all these other uh, products on there. And I think um, my role, I, as I was a salon, in Eng, salon owner in England with 11 salons, a very big customer of beauty products, mm-hmm. I could put myself in the position of my customer in America because I had no salons in America. And I was able to speak to a fellow salon owner on an equal level, knowing that a lot of them needed another shampoo like another navel. (laughs) You know, we we were selling more than shampoo. And sometimes I used to joke, uh, does Mr. Weller visit you or does Mr. L'Oreal visit you? And they, I said, well, Mr. Webb does. Really? And every visit, every salon I visited, I would pick up a card and I'd get back in the car and make a deliberate note of something about the salon or the staff. And I'd come back to England and Taylor loved it that I would send off 200 or 250 handwritten cards from here in England Mm. personally to the individual salons. And I I would always remark on something that was particularly rememberable. And occasionally, if I went back to one of the salons, they were so gracious, they'd sometimes have the card in a frame by the styling station. That is so cool. Oh, wow. That is, that awesome. is so cool. That's yeah. a lot of respect. You know, there, there, there was, my wife always used to joke because I would get up, get to salons and a lot of them were nice girls and we'd have a photograph, you know, with me surrounded by all these beautiful women. Right. And I'd bring the photos home and I'd show my wife and kids. And my wife used to say, excuse me, you know, on Friday, you've got to take the garbage out. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I'd I'd be surrounded by these beautiful girls. And in one salon, one of the girls pinched my butt at the time of the photograph. She went red and embarrassed. And she went out the salon door onto the sidewalk. And the owner said, She's so embarrassed that she did that, Mr. Webb. So I went out and saw her and I said, I'd love you to come and have another photograph. You know, which made, <laughs> made her laugh. And so when I wrote to the salon, she told me that she always does that with her husband. It was like force of habit, you know, to make the husband smile. <laughs> and so when I wrote to the salon, I said, dear, whatever the salon was. And I said, um, thank you very much for kindly seeing me. And I, I'll always remember my visit because of Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. That is awesome. I really meant it when I wrote the cards. And I'd like to think that the salons knew I meant it. I'm sure they did. I mean, if you handwrite it and, and, you know, just, just that effort, that little bit of effort, you know, goes so, so long. So um, I want to be the first one to sign a petition to bring ice cap back. Mr. Right. Webb, how do we make that happen? We need to bring ice cap back to the market. Well, of course 
nobody has seriously suggested it, but occasionally people say, do you want to start again? Right. And I go, not at this stage. Not at this stage. <laughs> I'm, Amen. I'm going to too many gigs of my kids and others uh, now and uh, still doing some speeches, but not as many. Uh, I had the most amazing run, India, China, Hong Kong, Australia, America, Canada, Portugal, Finland, England. Um, and I used to get other professional speakers saying to me, like, who's your agent? I said, well, I haven't got one. You know, it's been like a snowball. You know, the book, the speech, the speech, the book. Right. They kind of went in harmony. And um, because, you know, the book's about business, but it's an honest account of overcoming adversity and and music, lots of music. And uh, I think it's on the fifth edition now. And uh, I think I'm very proud of it, even though I was frightened to do the first one. How can we find the book? Well, you can see it on my website. It's available from my website. And, what, what, uh, what's the website, Graham? GrahamWebb.co.uk. That's co.uk. Great G R A H A M W E B B dot C O dot U K. And by the way, the um, profits from the book go to disabled charities, uh, people like I once was. Mm. And I charge for the speeches unless it's for charity. But apart from how the book appears to have helped a lot of people, um, you know, in business and other ways, the money has definitely helped a lot of people. That's brilliant. So yeah. great. Right? I mean, yeah. You have, you've helped a lot of, a lot of people and you've impacted a lot of people. And again, Corey and I, you've impacted our lives. Um, and you, you, you didn't know it and you haven't known it, but you know it now, but uh, you know, we want to thank you from the bottom of our heart and the Graham Webb, the Graham Webb family, uh, we've have so many friends, so many uh, people, you know, in this industry uh, we've connected with because of you. Yeah. I uh, mean, just, just amazing. I mean, I, I don't, you know, just to kind of, again, jump on what Tony said, it's just, it's amazing the impact that you've made in this industry, certainly locally, um, you know, nationally as well, but, you know, certainly the DC area, like, you know, Graham Webb is, is still, it's a legend. Still a, yeah, exactly. It's still, still yeah. a legend name. And, and there's just so many people that we work with and that we have worked with that, 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 are, that we're kind of all part of that same grandma family. And, you know, again, just thank you. Thank you very, very, very much. Well, I'm very humbled that you were so kind to ask me to do it. And uh, thank you very much. Mr. Graham Webb, thank you very much for joining us on your day off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find... Actually, you can. You can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>